Welcome to Dean's Discuss, a podcast that examines how science and research at UC Davis affect our everyday lives. Join our hosts, Allison Brashear, Dean of the UC Davis School of Medicine, and Michael Lairmore, Dean of the UC Davis School of Veterinary Medicine, as they give their thoughts on how the work of scientists, physicians, and researchers affects us all. Hello, Allison. Michael, let's start today's discussion by answering a question from one of our listeners, Jen. As a campus employee, she's typically afflicted by a number of head colds and various seasonal ailments during the school year. She says she's always wondered about these sniffles and flu bugs and how they're related to the immune system and building immunity for those in her household. But this school year, Jen says that so far she's been distanced and masked and they haven't caught any of their usual maladies. She says, well, I'm thankful for the absence of the cherry colored noses and the tissue filled pockets and twilight fevers. I'm curious as to the absence of those maladies and how they impact our immune systems going forward. Michael, can you take a uh, stab at that? Yeah, I'll take a a try at that one. That's a really good question, actually. And I thought about that myself because as I've quit traveling uh, because of the COVID restrictions, I haven't actually um, caught any colds this year. And I think it's a reflection of the fact that those uh, public health protection measures that we're using, the physical distancing, the mask, the hand washing, they have an effect on other viruses as well, including influenza, as well as other common cold things that we would be getting. So it's natural that, you know, her children uh, would not be getting as many colds as a normal season. Uh, One thing she alludes to is whether that has a longer term effect on the immune system. Probably not, it probably just reflects this season. However, you know, it does bring up the fact that we may need to continue these public health measures in high um, rates of, uh, you know, like seasons where we have influenza or other things in the future. So they protect us from multiple things, these measures that we're all taking. Thank you, Jen, for your question. And we welcome any additional questions from our listeners at deansdiscuss at ucdavis.edu. You know, Allison, you know, one thing I was thinking about was what a year 2020 has been. It's been a year of learning. It's been a year of tragic losses. I think we are, we really are very uh, sad. And it's uh, another grim milestone uh, that 250,000 Americans have lost their lives to COVID-19. So it's it's a somber end of the year, but one thing that um, also, you know, all of the uh, our lives have been affected by the pandemic, and certainly we've talked about that uh, throughout the years on this podcast. But I'm, you know, I, I'm very proud of the fact that even though we're in this uh, third surge of COVID and our county is in a purple status at uh, the way we rate them in California, but I'm really proud of the fact that what we did this year in terms of UC Davis's response across the whole campus and all the innovations that came forth. And I know you are too. a historic day for UC Davis School of Medicine. We're starting our first vaccine trial for COVID. The Pfizer trial is starting today. We've got six patients here that will receive a treatment. Going from something that can t- test 20 tests a day to something that could test up to a thousand or more a day with a robot, 
That's our end game. We really rallied across the disciplines and it's really just a, a story of triumph in the face of terrible tragedy. Um, I know that you and I both started uh, the beginning of March, March 2nd, uh, getting everybody to work together across disciplines, across the causeway. And it's really a time uh, to think back about all that we've accomplished. Um, we had unprecedented campus-wide collaboration. Today, I learned that we have more than 25 million of COVID research uh, in partnership with our vice chancellor, uh, Dr. Mahaprat. And we have uh, 19 million of that is in the School of Medicine. You know, one thing I think I want to just step back is people continue to do their regular day job. So in the School of Medicine, we had um, large, all of our large grants were submitted for renewal. Dr. DeCarly received $53 million to study Alzheimer's disease. The faculty approved our curriculum. So nobody stopped doing what they usually do. And then in addition, we were all and continue to fight COVID. Uh, I'm really proud of the team that uh, brought the Pfizer vaccine uh, that as of yesterday, we know is 95% effective. Dr. Tim Albertson and Dr. Angel Haksu were uh, tremendous in recruiting um, a community that was diverse to the vaccine trial, uh, really unprecedented in terms of uh, the outpouring. 4,000 people volunteered to be in the trial. The pathology group under the leadership of uh, Dr. Lydia Howe, their chair, and Dr. Nam Tran uh, developed a rapid COVID test in the middle of March that got lots of headlines. And then just a couple of weeks ago, they announced that they're doing a COVID and flu testing at the bedside that they're doing in the emergency room. So people are um, building the plane while it's in the air. And we've been doing this now for nine months. And I am so proud of the communication and collaboration and and just uh, everybody jumping in and getting things done in an unprecedented time. I know you are. You know, the, uh, the innovations that happened around campus were pretty remarkable, you know, being thrust into that. You mentioned several of those. One of the things that's going on right now actually is the uh, testing. Uh, we're testing now the whole campus, uh, all of the employees and students using novel approaches that actually came from our uh, agriculture community, the IntelliCube method of saliva testing that they're using is a high throughput. And you know we're learning a lot in doing so, how to um, get people to logistically go through the arc and get tested, but also how to do this on a regular basis to ensure our community feels safe uh, in our hospital settings and in our, in our community. The other thing that's really interesting is the work that was going on even before COVID that set up some of this. Some of the work on remdesivir was you know, conducted in cats more than two years ago and published uh, because cats, as it turns out, suffer from similar coronaviruses, not the same as, as SARS, although cats during the year we found out occasionally can get infected with uh, COVID, but um, their own coronaviruses. But those same drugs worked and Niels Peterson was featured in Atlantic Magazine in a, in a great story uh, that showed some of that, that work that really preceded the work done in the human clinical trials. And as we know, even uh, the president received remdesivir for his treatment for when he suffered from COVID. So, you know, I think some of that early work is, was exciting to know that we were actually 
uh, well involved even before the uh, pandemic. Well, Michael, you're absolutely right. And we were also early out involved in the clinical trials in humans in remdesivir. And Dr. Stu Cohen um, was one of the first investigators to use in remdesivir. And in fact, I remember that uh, we got the trial up and running from five days of receiving the protocol to getting the patient getting the treatment. That's unheard of in clinical trials. Usually those things take months. So um, Stu and Tim Albertson, Dr. Angela Haksu, the entire infectious disease ICU team has been working day and night to provide cutting edge clinical trials research to our patients that are in the hospital. Um, more recently, they've been treating patients with the monoclonal antibody that you mentioned as well. So it's exciting. And I anticipate over the next uh, couple of months, we're gonna just continue to have novel treatments come out and novel testing, and hopefully we'll get ahead of this. You know, one of the areas that UC Davis has really led the way in a long time is One Health. Uh, Michael, can you just tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think, you know, when we think of where these things come from, where, where does these uh, viruses reside? Turns out that many of them are in, in wildlife uh, reservoirs. And, you know, certainly they can trace back from uh, analyzing the genetics of the virus that it's related to bat viruses. And, uh, you know, it had probably an intermediate host before it came into humans. But by that knowledge, uh, we know that that really means that we need to understand that. And that interface is at animals, people, and the environment. And more and more, we're finding that about 75% of the emerging diseases, not just COVID, but other emerging diseases may come from that interface. So one of the things that, that's really interesting about a campus like ours is we have so many people and expertise in the environment, in um, both at the animal side and the human side, that coming together, really the best minds come together at that interface to say, where do they come from? What are the factors that lead to them to spill over uh, into our environment? And the federal government has recognized that and has funded UC Davis through the PREDICT program, which was a, a large grant from USAID that has been you know, here for the last decade. And they really set up about 30 or four, 30 or more than 30 countries, laboratories and testing uh, for viruses like COVID. And uh, they were able to really respond very early on. So the same countries were some of the earliest laboratories that were, uh, that capacity building was built out from the uh, PREDICT grant. And then subsequently to that, uh, during the course of this last year, two more grants, one to help uh, educate the workforce of the future. And really that's another one that trains people throughout the world in global health, which is another strength area for UC Davis to understand that interface. And more recently, one of 10 centers by NIH. So we've received the attention of the federal government with funding, but it was only because we had the expertise already in place to really answer that through that One Health approach. Well, Michael, you bring up something that's really important is the synergies between our two schools and the rest of the campus. And also, I just want to say, I think that academic medicine and um, has really been brought to the forefront during this terrible pandemic. Um, I think most people in the country now know who Dr. Fauci is. And um, I don't think most people knew what NIH was in the past. Uh, it wasn't on the top of everybody's mind. So that's where schools of medicine, schools of veterinary medicine really interact with education at hospitals 
and we're all working together. And I think it's the sweet spot that really the academic health systems uh, can really work from. And that's by bringing clinical trials and research programs and education programs directly to our patients. So, you know, we were giving remdesivir and other, and now are still giving other research uh, medications for COVID before they hit the market, um, before you could get them anywhere else. And um, that's really what uh, I think value that academic medicine brings to the community. And we're teaching our students directly at the bedside on how to do that. They are right in this, um, helping us uh, fight this pandemic. Um, we've got our medical students um, back in the hospital. So I think it's just been a really um, illustrative part of uh, what academic medicine brings to our communities, to the country. and. Um, uh, it's been just a fascinating thing to watch, and I'm so proud of everybody across all of UC Davis for their contributions. Yeah, if you think about it, back in March, uh, you know, we both uh, of our faculties had to quickly flip uh, into an online version for a lot of our, our lecture courses, and we have continued, and the whole campus has continued to do so. And so, you know, when we think back of how quickly we had to respond to that, you know, and that was occurring nationwide as well with all the universities. And, you know, there are multiple layers of uh, things that were learned during that process, how to deliver the online learning. We all got really into Zoom. Uh, I'm afraid I've, I've spent too many hours uh, doing Zooming. But in addition to that, I think we've learned some lessons. Um, in some cases, things that will carry forward, how to deliver telehealth, how to, um, communicate uh, to rural areas through uh, communications like this, um, how to deliver the information through webinars. Um, and, and we're getting bigger audiences that way and people are paying more attention uh, to those kinds of informational outlets. On the downside, of course, the mental health and wellness side uh, throughout the year. And I know both of our schools are very interested in the mental health and wellness of our faculty, of our staff, of our students. So we had to bolster that and really think about how do we support and the the people on the front lines that I, you know, that we really worry about, of course, are those on the front lines of treatment um, and their health. There was a great article in New York Times about nurses on the front line as the the real heroes in this pandemic, and and you have many of those in your hospital that are that are true heroes on the front lines. But one thing that that we've really learned is that we need to support them as much as we can and how to, how to relieve that mental health and, and wellness part of that. So beefing up our counseling, looking at ways to help uh, improve uh, childcare for our faculty that are parents that are trying to juggle uh, both the education of their kids as well as their jobs. And I know you did a lot in that area and uh, throughout the health systems and, and within the School of Medicine as well. You know, I'm worried about that topic because the holidays are coming and um, that is a time for stress and people feeling lonely. Um, and now we're actually, we're asking people not to get with their families and that makes absolutely perfect sense. But I do think as leaders, we need to be very mindful about the mental health of our entire community. Um, nine months has been incredibly long to be in a um, really uh, separated from your coworkers and just communicating via Zoom, text or phone. And then we're gonna pile on where people don't get to see their families. Um, I did see Dr. Fauci talking about um, not seeing his 
his children and you know they're gonna they're gonna have their Thanksgiving meal and put the the zoom up for their Thanksgiving meal and that's a great example of what we have to do but I think we also need to be mindful about the impact on on everybody's mental health so let's fast forward, Michael. What do you think is next in predicting the future pandemics? I know the vet school's usually um, really on top of that. So what do you think is going to happen? Well, I think one thing we have to learn is that that early um, predictive network. So you know, as I mentioned, that approach of really trying to find out the sources of these, so that when there is a spillover event, um, so let's say in the future. Uh, and by the way, the uh, the pandemic was that as it's unfolded was done in simulation fashion a couple of years before it actually happened. You know what would happen if a, a, a market uh, in a busy market had a uh, epidemic which spread quickly within people with a respiratory pathogen. So we know that these can occur, and we have to be prepared for those. So early detection in the field uh, is a real key to that. Early sharing of information across countries. The early um, uh, uh, tests that were set up for COVID was based upon the fact that we knew the sequence of these viruses in nature. So those are one aspect. So that's at the early phase. I think the other thing is a coordinated, and this is where School of Medicine comes in, You know, is really leadership in the public health area of how do we respond if we do have a pandemic reach our shores? And you know, I, I was curious You know, also, how do you think the public health system in this country can respond in the future uh, to prevent such a devastating effect? Well, I saw some data recently that the number of applications to medical school has gone up quite a bit. And I think that um, the role of public health is gonna be forever uh, uh, scarred on our memories. And I think that's gonna be a real opportunity for people to, to go into that field. I certainly hope so. You know, the School of Medicine's experts have been helping guide Governor Newsom's uh, vaccine uh, task force and earlier the uh, testing task force. And um, those are things that I think, um, you know, our leaders um, play such a significant role in. And they also play a great role model for our students and our young faculty members on how they actually really can make a difference because um, people work in you know, schools of veterinary medicine, schools of medicine, and really uh, to improve health and everybody has a role. Um, and I'm just uh, think, thanks so much our, our leaders about being such great role models for our students. Speaking of great role models, um, I just wanna give a shout out again to um, the chemistry Nobel laureate, Jennifer Doudna. Uh, she did a uh, Zoom on our research town hall on October 30th. Um, it was to 1600 viewers. And then we actually recorded it and put it on the UC Davis School of Medicine uh, Facebook page. So anybody who's listening to my voice can uh, Google that and find uh, that it was a wonderful presentation. And she talked a lot about how she used CRISPR now in the treatment and diagnosis of COVID-19. Um, I also wanna give a shout out to the Vice Chancellor of Research because he and I have been doing these research town halls since the beginning of April. And I think today was number 35 um, every Friday at 1030. And it's been really a great collaboration that's come out of COVID. And that's where um, Dr. Doudna spoke. I just would be remiss if I didn't just reemphasize the public health message. Um, you know, there's so much that's coming out in the press about vaccine and drug approval, but right now, and then probably in the next, several months, really what we can do is to get number one, a flu vaccine, 
Flu vaccine is really important because we don't want anybody getting sick with the flu and we wanna be able to differentiate between the flu and COVID. So important is hand hygiene, social distancing and masking. Masking every single place you go. It has to be that way. You, if, you're, if you're in a room by yourself with the door closed, uh, like I am right now, I don't have a mask on. But if someone walks in the door, then I'm gonna put my mask on regardless of if they're six feet apart. Everybody has to do this because we have to get on top of this surge and we're not gonna have a vaccine um, just next week. So we really have to follow the public health message. Yeah, you gave some uh, really important lessons, uh, and I think that were learned, uh, you know, throughout the year, and some really important messages there at the at the end. Now, if you thought about it from the perspective of, uh, you know, what do we have that we have hope for uh, in in the new year? So, what is it, Allison, that you're looking at and saying, you know, what I would really like to see going into next year, and what I really hope for? What would that What would that be for you? One of the lessons I've learned over the last nine months is just the value of communication, the importance of empathy and trust in a team. And, you know, I have been just so heartwarmed about how people have jumped in and communicated and just uh, worked day and night to really make things happen so that we can bring things directly to our patients. My hope for the new year is really a hope for that continued teamwork and trust and empathy because it's gonna to be tough. It's been a tough nine months and it's gonna be a tough next couple of months for sure. And my hope is that we're there for each other. I think, I think um, that's gonna be really something that's gonna get us through uh, to the spring. We have to be there for each other uh, as a community, as a school, as a, um, as a college, all of UC Davis, uh, we need to be there for each other and support each other um, and trust each other. I think that's incredibly important. Mm -hmm. Sure. You know, one of the things I look at is very similar, you know, that when we brought all those people together, when th those numerous examples you mentioned of both the research discoveries, the educational outcomes, the public health outcomes, they come about from teamwork and, and collectively the innovations that we saw were not based upon a single individual's idea, but there were often teams. And that team science approach, that team clinical approach, you know, that's one thing that really uh, came to bear during this pandemic. And it was, um, it was really apparent in our communities as well, that team approach to help underserved communities that really recognize that, that you know, we really have to think about all of those on the front line and many times are on the front line are those workers on the front line and, and they may not have the highest paying jobs. They may be the people that can't afford to, 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 get, uh, to, to get and go home for their work. They have to go to work. And that was uh, an important mirror on our society as well. So uh, coming together both for innovations but coming together as communities, I think was an important lesson, caring for each other. And, and Allison, I, you know, as we go into this holiday season, I, I just want to express my thanks, um, similar to what you did for all of the people involved this past year in the COVID response from those in the lab to those at the clinic, to those in the community. And I really want to express our, our heartfelt thanks for that. But I also want to express my personal thanks to you, Allison, because 
our partnership is really important. And as leaders, I really appreciated the fact that you were open as you came to campus, uh, relatively new to our campus uh, a year or so ago, but yet dove right in and, and partnered and we linked arms together as a team uh, right. to battle this important pandemic. So thank you for that. Well, thank you, Michael. You know, I've been here now 16 months and you were one of the first people I met and it's been just a wonderful partnership. Um, you know, the School of Veterinary Medicine and the School of Medicine are really linked and you're right, it's all about teamwork. It's been a wonderful team here to do these podcasts and um, I hope we've been able to share um, uh, all the great work that's gone on at UC Davis. And I think that there's just wonderful future here in store for us for 2021. And I have good, good hopes that 2021 will be a remarkably different year than 2020, but it's been wonderful to partner with you. And thank you so much for the warm welcome uh, to the UC Davis community. And thank you and happy holidays to you, Allison. You too, happy holidays. Like what you heard or have an idea for a future episode? Email the deans with your suggestions at deansdiscuss at ucdavis.edu. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Deans Discuss Podcasts is available free on demand at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon's TuneIn, Stitcher, Pandora, and Spotify. This is Deans Discuss.